Okay, I think each of you is getting a handout given to you that tells about growing the matted row system. And uh, I do like the matted row system for one thing. It just seems kind of natural. And the plastic one, the production is so good and there's a lot of advantages. It just, I suppose it's straw just seems kind of natural. And so I like it that way. Uh, let's have a word of prayer to get started. Kind Heavenly Father, we just praise your name for the variety of foods you have made on this earth. And as we just talk about one of them, the strawberries, uh, bless us and send your spirit to be in our midst just now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, Why grow strawberries? We've talked about it quite a bit already, and there's a few of you who have endured to the end here. And, but for me, it's the first fruit of the spring. And I, you know, when we think of Minnesota, this is what my strawberry field looks like just last week. You know, the, the frost is, the ground is frozen solid. When we go out in Minnesota, I mean, if you went out there with a pickaxe, you would have a hard time to break through that. You'd be out there, even a backhoe takes a long time to get through that layer of frost. It's hard as cement. And to think that that will unthaw and grow things in a few months is almost unbelievable. The transformation takes place over just a few weeks. We have a very fast spring, and that's probably why for John, he's fighting the frost up in the night, and I'm sleeping well. And, uh, you know, just because it, spring comes fast. And when you're in Minnesota, spring is also very precious. It's cold now. And you're out scraping your windows in the winter, just like we're doing here now, I guess, and in the morning. And when spring comes, everybody has a certain kind of you know how they talk about calves getting out in the spring and kicking up their heels and running? That's kind of how Minnesotans are in the spring. You know, they're ready for something to happen. And when there's the first fruit of the spring is just really an exciting thing. And so it's easy to sell strawberries. And, you know, for me, it's just exciting to be alive. You know, our family... Uh, survived an airplane crash while we were missionaries in the Congo. We should have died in that airplane crash, but I'm just glad to be alive every day. Can you say amen? amen. And it's, it's great to be alive and praising the Lord every single day. And so when we started our farm, we called it Miracle Strawberry Farm because we expect miracles to happen. God is good at that. He does it all the time. And uh, we do all we can just like John was saying in a previous presentation, we do all we can, everything we know to do, but we expect God will do miracles in addition to that. So uh, we'll expect our, our plants, even though the ground is frozen, we have straw to cover the ground. But I normally expect it to get to 20 degrees below zero at probably three times in a winter. That's very cold. And this is the ground that I'll be planting soon. And I can tell you the frost is down deep, but in the spring we'll be planting this ground. I'm going to plant about 1.4 acres of strawberries this coming spring. And I'm just going to kind of walk through the season as, to, as it is for us. What do we do uh, from month to month? And uh, when I first started growing strawberries, there was two men in our area growing strawberries, and both of them were in their 80s. One of them is now 90, and he's still growing strawberries. He was my mentor, and that's what I'd encourage you to do. If you decide you want to grow strawberries commercially, and I'd encourage you to try it if you like. There are challenges, but get a mentor. Get somebody who's used to doing it, knows what they're doing, talk to them, maybe help them on their farm for a season, and See what you're getting into and be informed. But 
that will make it a lot easier for you. That's what I did. But I thought, I told my wife after I visited this man in his mid-80s growing strawberries, I said, I think this growing strawberries is the fountain of youth. These guys are just doing great. And, uh, and they're, they're still growing in them. When we started, I, I probably started a little too big, but we started with 2.2 acres, and I planted, I think, 17,000 plants. And that was our first year, and wow, we learned a lot. And, and you know, as much as you want to research and do things and find out ahead of time, that's best. But sometimes, too, you have to dive in and get started. So one of the first things we do in the spring, first job of the spring, is raking off the straw. Because those, that straw has been keeping those plants uh, from freezing to death all winter long. The straw attracts a little bit of snow also. And so we get that combination of snow and straw, and that really keeps those plants alive. It keeps the crowns from freezing. So here's uh, my daughter and a couple other fellows who were helping us that year to rake off the straw. We have to be a little bit gentle when we rake with these metal rakes. Otherwise, the crowns are very fragile at that time of the year. It's easy, it would be easy to rake hard, and you'd break the little crowns right off. And so we have to be kind of tender about it, and uh, then planting time, and that's mid to late April, I suppose. Uh, I'm a tax accountant, and so April 15th is a big day for me, and when that's done, it's time to start thinking about farming. So uh, we get our planter out, and have to work the ground a little bit. I'll probably work my ground two times with a chisel plow because we're planting uh, probably two weeks ahead of any other farmers in the area. We want those strawberries in as early as we can get them in because those strawberries will be producing more runners and more they will advance more just like John wants his to uh, get to a certain stage before winter comes, we want these plants to grow and those rows to fill in. And we're planting every four feet on centers on rows. So four feet between the rows, and in each row, we're going 18 inches between the plants. And it's amazing. I'll show you these plants in a minute, but they're just like little bitty mummies you put in the ground. There's hardly anything to them. And you think, that's going to fill in this field? Because when you, when you look at them, I'll show you in a minute here, the field looks like after you've planted it, there's nothing in it. You know, you can hardly tell. And this is our planter. And what you'll see in our planter, we're, I bought this planter a couple years ago, after, or a few years ago after we bought our, uh, or dug our pond. There's a thing right behind me on the tractor, and that's a roll of irrigation drip tape. So... We're running that drip tape four inches underneath every row of strawberries. So we're watering from underneath. And this is actually another solution to the problem we talked about with disease. I don't have to water them on top. I'm watering from underneath. And by doing that, I, one, I'm not watering all the weeds in the field. That's good. I don't want to water them. And the other thing is I'm getting it right on the roots of the plants I want to grow. So that thing has worked very well for us. And I'd say most farmers, if you're going to grow strawberries, you really should try to have some form of irrigation. Sooner or later, you'll be wishing you had it. Although we did go two or three years without any irrigation and got along all right. But in our area, we get enough rainfall in the spring and steadily throughout the year. So you want to think about do I have enough irrigation or, or do I get enough rainfall to grow strawberries in my area? This is just shows you another picture of that planter. Again, uh, laying those things four inches underneath each plant, four, four feet centers, 18 inches between, and you'll see the, the drip irrigation line just coming behind the planter there. That's two of my sons helping me plant. And uh, after they're 
in the ground. Well, oh, I got to divert for a moment to show you our irrigation pond. This was the year we dug our pond. And these are some of the things that God does for us. I wondered when I was starting, I came back from the mission field after being there 11 years and wondered, how will I dig an irrigation pond? I don't have $10,000 or something to dig. And so I, I wondered and I thought, I talked to a, a man who was uh, a who did ponds, and he said, well, do you have any gravel on your property? I need gravel. And I said, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's gravel right over here, and this was right next to my house. And he dug a hole. Guess what was there? Gravel. And he said, I'll trade you the gravel for the pond. And I said, it sounds like a deal to me. So he dug the pond for free. And so that's just some of the things that God does for us. It happens all the time. So there's our pond. I have about a two-horse electric pump that I use to pump water up to those uh, irrigation lines. I may consider going to some of those wobbler systems to protect for frost or do some overhead at some point in time, but we haven't up to now. So far, we're so good. And our pond is a lot of fun. I've got a few fish in there even, and so it's also a swimming hole in the summer, so it's a, it's a fun thing to have. This is just uh, an older planter that I had. This did not have the irrigation lines underneath, and it still is a good planter. If some of you want, I've got this planter as an extra that I have. If you want one, let me know. But uh, I mostly wanted to show you the plants. I took a picture of this planter with the plants, and you'll see that arrow. John's presentation showed a, a picture of planting too deep, and too shallow, and if it's too shallow, those roots are sticking up out of the ground, and you don't want it to be like that. So the little arrow there is that tiny little thing he's going to put into the, the grabber that comes around on a wheel and grabs that strawberry plant, and the root is exposed, and it goes around, and there's a, there's a wedge that goes through the ground, and that widens the spot for the wheel to put the strawberry plant into the ground. And so it's nice, two people going every other plant. You can plant, we'll be planting uh, about 9,000 plants this spring. But it would be an awful job to think about without some kind of a machine to help you. And you don't want to let the roots dry out when you're planting. It's usually windy. But if these roots get real dry, you're doing damage to them. The little fine hairs, you don't want those to dry out. In fact, we have a little bit of fertilizer that we dip them into that has like a gel on it to kind of keep them from getting uh, too dry while we're planting. This is my wife repair, kind of repairing the depths if we see some that are too shallow or too deep, we go along behind the planter and repair those as we go. And then one thing we do that's important, I think, too, is we trample right around every plant, you know, so that plant is right between my feet, and I'm trampling the ground down around it because I don't want to leave any air pockets down there around those roots. Uh, that would not be good for the plants. So we trample those down. I know one man, when he plants, he just drives a four-wheeler over the top of all of his new plants to pack the ground, but that seems a little uh, much to me. So we just do them uh, one by one, having somebody follow the planter to keep the, everything the way we want it. And as I said, I plant jewel variety. That is a very hardy variety. It tastes good. And another thing to keep in mind is when you're planting any strawberry, how is the hardiness of it? What, what can that strawberry do? Some are better for freezing. Some, if you take them to market, they won't last. I've planted varieties that when I take them to market, they hardly make it through the day in the market. And jewel will hold up and last throughout that day. And... Uh, be good for when people take it home at night, because if it's out there in the sun most of the day, it's, it's hard on it. So Jewel is a variety. Next year I'm planting, uh, or I planted last year, I should say, Wendy, which is a real early variety, and we'll see how we do with that. We want to try to extend our season.
Not long after we plant, you'll see how those plants, uh, those little bitty mummies, have grown now, and there's some plants every 18 inches, and they're starting to send out runners. Uh, the average plant for us will probably send out 10 runners each. John, with his plastic uh, uh, culture, will get rid of those runners. We love runners. They're going to fill in that entire row, and it's amazing how they fill them in. So when we cultivate, we're not just getting weeds. As we cultivate, we're cultivating those, those runners into the row where we want them to be so that they're not out, way out into the row but kind of keeping them into a line. We don't want them to scatter everywhere because we're going to fill in between those rows with straw over the winter. And so we want to keep them in a row. So cultivating is very important, so we use our tractor for that. It would be hard to tackle three acres without some kind of equipment. If you were out there with hose, you would be too tired. <laughs> but you'll see how close I'm cultivating. You can almost see the loose dirt right next to those plants. I cultivate as close as I dare to get. And I use something, I should have had a picture of it, it's called a rolling shield. I hook it underneath the tractor. It has a shield about this big around on each side. And the, the, that goes in each, right underneath the tractor. And my tractor's an offset tractor, an International 274, so that when I'm cultivating and sitting in the seat of my tractor, I'm looking right down at the row I'm cultivating because the tractor's offset just a little bit. And those rolling shields will protect those baby plants. On each side, I'm running that rolling shield right down the middle so as the dirt's coming up against the shield, it won't throw the dirt all over the strawberries. So I can cultivate almost right up to them. And that's really our biggest strategy for weed control is the first year, get them all that you can. Don't let any weeds continue on. Because in future years, we won't work that ground very much at all, and, except for renovation. And if we're not working that ground, then there won't be so many weeds. So this year, we want to get that top inch, all the weeds that we can, knocked out, all the weed seed, germinated and pulled, and then there won't be so many weeds to deal with as the season goes on. And this is what that field will look like. It's hard to believe. This is the same year just later in the summer, and see how those rows, remember they were every 18 inches, just a tiny little mummy plant, and now you'll see that those rows have filled in and they're just full of strawberries that have grown from those runners. And it, it's just amazing how well they fill themselves in. And finally, let's see. Oh, one thing I did forget to mention. The first year we go through and every single blossom we pinch it off. We want it to actually put energy into those runners. We want runners because that's the future of that field. And so when the first year, this is actually the, the blossoms that would be ones we've planted in a prior year. Up to now, I've been showing you pictures of what we planted that spring that we're working with. All of those plants, we will go through and pinch every single blossom cluster off by hand. And uh, it's very important so that the plant can continue to put energy into those runners and production. But now we're jumping to the plants that I planted in a prior year. Because when I plant in the spring, I don't harvest anything till next year, spring. And so I've got a year of the first planting that I don't get a thing off till the next year, and then I'll harvest for three years with my matted row system. But you'll see the straw between the rows there. That provides a very nice picking area for people to come. It's surprising how often people come and say, well, Will there be any mud? Am I going to be crawling in the mud to pick strawberries? They don't like that. But if you have a nice 
uh, matted row of straw there for people to crawl on. It's, it's clean and neat, and then they can just pick the strawberries that they want when they come. So that's really what that field should look like. And it's important, too, you'll notice there's space between these rows. My first year, I made the mistake of planting too close together. Jewels are very aggressive, and I planted 40 inches apart, and I had someone come, and they said, if you don't do something soon, you won't even know there are any rows in this field. They're all growing together. So I had to cultivate some of the plants out because it was producing so many runners. And I've learned now to go every four feet with jewels because otherwise they could just grow totally together. But that's the important thing is it needs airflow between these rows. That airflow will help keep the disease out of there. If you let that row get too wide, then the air doesn't get in around those plants and then that will help with disease to help disease to come. And so you, you really, that airflow is very, very important. And sunshine. You know, as these, most of the berries that these rows will produce will be along the outside edge of those rows. What's in the middle will be fewer of the berries because it needs sunshine, it needs the air movement. That's just a picture of frost. Uh, I should have put that in with the challenges that we had in our last hour, but that's what it can look like when you do get frost. And for us, we're covering our strawberries uh, to prevent the frost, and uh, we have had uh, the Lord's blessing and, and success with, with what we've done so far. And here's the berries as they start to grow. There's uh, can be a lot of them. They don't look very big as they are now. When they're small, they're green, but they will grow, and just as they start to mature, they're going to turn white. And after they're white, they're going to turn red. And what we know is that it's tricky with a UPIC operation. When can I start? When can I open? When is opening day going to be? People ask us all the time. And a gauge to that is... Uh, when you see the first red strawberry, you will probably open in seven days from the first red strawberry. So that's what we go by as a gauge uh, when we're thinking ahead because uh, you have to plan your advertising or whatever you're doing, although we've switched mostly to going, most of our advertising is email and Facebook, pretty much. Uh, and it's good, another point to think about if you're having a U-pick operation, you really need to be somewhere close to a population center. If you're way out in the middle of nowhere, who's going to come and pick those strawberries? Will they come very far? We're 20 minutes from Rochester, Minnesota, and that's about 100,000 people. And there are a few other strawberry growers in the area, and they do a good job too, but, you know, we're... 20 miles out, and people will come that far to pick strawberries in the spring. Again, with that sales on our farm for our U-Pick operation, this is my sales tent that I set up. And the main tent there, as you're looking at the screen, will be where we check people out. I have a scale there, and we sell by the pound on the farm. And then an area to the left there, another tent for sorting the berries, because I have my own pickers coming in out of the field with pails of berries. We pick into five-quart buckets for my own pickers. And I'll show you what our customers pick into. There's one problem with letting someone talk that has grandchildren. And they're always sneaking ways in to show you their grandchildren. So this is my granddaughter holding up some uh, strawberries by the sign there. We do have signs we put out along the road in our area. So anywhere within probably two miles of our place, there's signs helping people to get to our place. And 
to make sure that they don't get lost out in the country. And so signs are important, I think. And again, my grand, here's some more of them. My grandkids love strawberries. They love to come to the farm. And that's kind of a fun thing. And what I see is that it isn't just a strawberry farm or a patch in your garden. It's family. It's something you do together, isn't it? It's way more than the food you get out of it. It's family. And I think we learned some of that this past year with the COVID thing. We spent more time together with family. And that's important. And so it goes beyond money, beyond just the strawberries themselves. It's something you do together. And I like that. This was our family team. And this year, I've got two sons and and daughters-in-law and grandchildren, and even my mother's there in the picture. She's 95, and uh, she mostly supervises. <laughs> but that's our team. And uh, then we hired some workers beyond that, but everyone is enjoying the experience, and we're having fun together. And I think that's just really important. So this was my picking team. These are some of the young people I hired to come and pick strawberries. And uh, here I've got uh, a mix of people. There's actually, I have four young girls in my team uh, so from some friends of ours that are Mennonites. And they're just really good workers and good girls. And I have a no electronics environment on my farm. That's just not something anybody's, no buds in the ears and music or whatever. We just don't let pickers come with that stuff. But over the years, they've gotten to be very good pickers, and I really appreciate them very much. Without them, I would have a hard time to do what we're doing. I pay them by the pail, as I said, and depending on how thick the berries are at the time, our season is only three weeks so we gear up for it, and it comes and goes fast. And so that during that three-week season, uh, during this past year, uh, our gross for our little 2.7 acres was $65,000. That was the gross sales in three weeks. So it, it, it goes fast. And I pay my pickers about between 4 or $5 per 5-quart five pail to pick for me. That's what they get. So we just count the number of pails that they pick to figure out how much they've earned. And how do we know when to open? If you open too soon, people will get discouraged. They go and there's not enough strawberries, and they'll go and tell their neighbors there's nothing there. Well, so what we do as a gauge is when we can go 50 feet and fill a five-quart ice cream pail, it's time to open. So that's our gauge. That's how we know when to open, when you fill an ice cream pail in 50 feet. So these are what the pails look like that would come in from our pickers. And uh, we don't want them to pick anything with white tips. Those are sour ones and not ripe. And so... And they're supposed to fill the pail right up to the level with the top. These are some of our customers who come onto the farm to pick. And we want happy customers. But I want you to notice the picking trays that we use. They're steel picking trays and uh, very nice handles. And then we buy boxes that fit into those trays. And then they can get about comfortably 8 to 10 pounds into one of those boxes. But I've seen people come with as much as uh, 14 pounds, but the berries are falling all over the place. It's not the best practice. But sometimes they just can't stop picking when they're having fun. So these are the carrier trays that we use. This year, of course, with COVID, we were putting the uh, sanitization on those and cleaning them up and all. We had different check-ins and different check-outs and it was all kinds of procedures, but it went okay. This is just a picture of our field when we're doing picking and you'll see the flags that we use. That's, uh, I think I ran out of red flags and we're using yellow ones, but all along the rows there, we're starting people with picking a row. 
When they get done picking, they move the flag up to where they left off picking, and then we know where to put the next customer. It was a little more complicated because we did go every other row this year with the COVID, and so it was a little more complicated to pick out the rows. But people like coming with their children, and that's what we like to see too, is families to get in the... You like them to get in the family tradition of coming as a family every year to pick strawberries. It's good for them. It's good for us, too. This family here uh, came one day. They picked uh, 300 pounds of strawberries that day, and, and that wasn't enough. They came another day, too, because they like to fill uh, their freezers at home. But they picked 300 pounds in a day, and uh, they weren't out there all day by any means, but they're, they really like their strawberries. This is just a picture of the cars as they were lined up on the road this spring and around my place along the field to, to come when we had so many cars each day coming to pick. And many of, I don't want to pick on any of the growers in our area. Some of them said, well, because of COVID, we're not allowing any children on our place this year. Just don't bring any kids. Well, we just couldn't do that. So we tried to take precautions as best we could, but we were very pro-family and we wanted people to come. So about half of our customers this year were new customers. We do try to get the email addresses of everyone that comes so we can communicate with them in future years. When are we starting our season? When are we ending it? What's, are we open today or what's happening with the weather? That's really important. We post that. I post that every single day on Facebook and I hardly use Facebook the rest of the year to be honest with you, but it's amazing how many people check that every single day to find out are they picking today or not and what is the weather like. <laughs> I think it's really important, too. I mentioned this earlier. How's my time? Am I done? Till five. Oh, okay. For me, it's really important to have a spiritual atmosphere on the farm. You know, we put up signs uh, around as people come into the yard, and uh, like this one, Psalms 96, 11, and 12, let the heavens rejoice, and let the earth be glad, let the sea roar in the fullness thereof, let the field be joyful in all that is therein. So to me, it's important that people know when they come onto the farm that this is a spiritual place. And if, if they want to talk about how the Lord has been good to them and share, that's something that we like to do on our farm. So we have those signs up on our trees. I also uh, have glow tracks that we put in every container of strawberries that goes out. And as I may have mentioned earlier, this year my son was back from the mission field. And I hired him full-time just to be in the field, trying to strike up, show people where to pick, and then try to strike up spiritual conversations. So he was able to pray with people quite a bit out in the field and... Uh, I know there was the, the homeschool group in our area invited him to give a presentation at their annual meeting uh, telling about Africa. And it's interesting. People, we, we tell them that 20% of our profits go to mission work in Africa. And every year I get people donating. I get at least $300 a year in donations from our customers to the mission work because they want to help with that work. They say this is going to a good cause. <laughs> And as John mentioned, we, we, uh, I was going to tell you our prices. And I will say that on Sabbath, I just, we just leave. We really don't even want to be there on Sabbath because I'm always afraid people will come. And even though I have the driveway blocked off, that they will come and beg to pick. And I don't want to be there when they do that. <laughs> We've come from an hour, please let us, an hour away, please let us pick because we just don't let them pick on Sabbath, of course. And so 
Anyway, we, we just run away that day after church, go somewhere else. We don't want to be there on Sabbath. And uh, we, we charged this year our prices for one quart. I know that probably if you're selling at farmer's markets, you can get more, but we were charging $5.50 a quart. That's probably a little high across all of Minnesota. They would be, maybe not be getting quite that much, but in our southeastern area near Rochester, uh, it's, we're able to get that price. And if people come and pick themselves, we charge $2.35 a pound for the berries. And if they pick over 30 pounds, they get a 10% discount. Um, let's see. This is starting renovation. This is an important part for the matted row system. What we do immediately after the season, as soon as the pickers are done coming, we're going to mow it flat, mow it all off. And you don't want to mow too close because you want about this much stem above the crowns that is not mowed. If you mow down and start mowing off the crowns, you could use your mower from the yard and get a little too close, and you would be sorry. You'd be damaging all your crowns, especially because those rows tend to be a little higher than the ground between the rows. So uh, about this much above the crowns is what we mow them off at, the whole field. And you have to be careful not to mow when it's too hot. Uh, one of the growers in our area this year, I was nervous because it was in the low 90s, and we just ended the season, and it, low 90s for several days, and I thought, boy, I need to be mowing these strawberries off, but this heat is making me very nervous because I don't have that overhead irrigation. So I just said, I'm just going to wait. And another person who is an experienced grower mowed off all of his during that heat, and he lost three acres of strawberries. They just died. It was too stressful for them. All of a sudden, all their protection is gone. They're in the direct sunlight, and it just got too hot for them. So that was kind of a tragedy that happened. But I waited and mowed mine off, mowed mine off later, and I was glad that I did wait. Oops. So the next thing we do after we mow them off, we till around each row of strawberries. Because you can imagine, we've done some weeding maybe early in the season, but by the time we've gone through three weeks of picking, the field is starting to get pretty weedy. And so as we till or rototill around each row, I till them to a width of 20 inches. And you can buy specialized equipment for that, but all I do is take my five-foot tiller that goes behind my tractor, I take out the middle four sets of rows, and that leaves me 20 inches. So one piece of equipment does dual duty that way. Then when I'm done tilling, I just put the, the tines back on. So I don't have to buy special equipment for it. And I have a five-foot wheelbase on my tractor and a five-foot tiller. So uh, that's what we do there. And then some of it, what we've already picked for three years, for that we're going to till it completely down, nothing left. And here's my son Andrew tilling the, some of the stuff that's been picked for three years. And what we will do is we will then plant a cover crop on that because when you're putting, as I said earlier, strawberries on strawberries on strawberries, sooner or later those diseases are going to build up and eventually you're going to have a hard time getting a good crop of strawberries without lots of headaches. But the cover crop, two years in between, really takes care of most of that. Then that disease is gone from the soil. And so this is an important part one of the next steps will be, because about the time our season ends, I should have mentioned this, we start picking about maybe July 5th, or June 15th is when our picking season will start generally, maybe a few days after that, and we'll get done about the 4th of July, pretty much every year. 4th of July, we're done. 
And uh, so in August, the farmers are harvesting their straw. I buy oat straw in small bales, and that's what we're going to use because I need to get that in stock so I have it in November when we spread that straw on the fields. I'm going to need 350 bales for every acre that I grow, so I have to get that straw in place. You want to buy it when the farmers have it available. If you wait and try to buy it in November, the prices will be high because they've stored it. So I want to buy it just as they're harvesting their oats out of the field. I'm right there. Then they make their straw, and I take it home straight from there. But it's a lot of work. <laughs> I put it up inside my barn. Although I think that we're going to go to a new practice of storing it out in the fields so I don't have to put it up in the barn and then take it down from the barn. It's just too much work. So we're going to put it out in the fields on, on pallets and then stake a cover over the top of the whole thing, stake it down so that uh, it doesn't get rained on. So the straw will already be out in the field waiting for me to spread it in November. And then in September, I'm going to mow off my cover crops. And in between here, I've been watching. It's easy to think of strawberries. I have people who come. I had one come a couple of years ago, and he said, he came and picked and was watching all the people come to the farm and pick, and he said, boy, this really looks easy. I think I'm going to do this. But I've never seen him. He hasn't started yet. <laughs> and, uh, but it's, it's something you do in bits all through the season. And John can attest to this. The work doesn't seem to end. It keeps going. Of course, he's selling all kinds of vegetables uh, also besides just this. But by the time, I also have two acres of asparagus, so we've been harvesting that up to the five or six weeks up to June 15th. So we're just finishing asparagus season when the strawberries are ready to pick. But again, there's work to do throughout the season, and this gets back to another fundamental thing that I think is easily overlooked. One of the reasons I started growing strawberries, besides it being the fountain of youth, you know, that I told you about earlier, was that I wanted some work for my son. You've got maybe families, maybe you've got children. It's good to have them have something to do. If it's a garden, it's really important then you're there working together. For many years as a, an accountant, I went to the office and worked and made my income there. And then I came home, but I was gone a lot. And now when we're farming, we're doing it together. And that to me is very crucial and an important consideration if you're thinking about farming. What, how am I training my children to work? How am I training my children to run a business? to make an income from the land, you know, these are important factors. It's not just a, just a money decision or is it handy. You know, this is, the family part of it is very important. Work throughout the year. So we mow off our cover crop in mid-September, and then we're going to till that into the ground to put those nutrients right into the ground and uh, feed the ground. And finally, we're just about to the end, and we're going to cover the field in early November. You might say, when is it the right time? I've, I've never figured out the exact right time. Too often I wait until it's too cold. And you get that cold wind out there trying to get that straw on the field. It's uh, hard work. But I do want you to notice the machine I use. This is a straw shredder. The, the variety is called a Friday shredder. I don't know if that's the day of the week they made them or what, but uh, that was the name of the company, Friday, and it's a Friday straw shredder. There's a conveyor here. I'm pulling it with a tractor, and there's kind of a platform of plywood that we put about 20 to 25 bales on for one round around the field. It covers one row at a time takes us two days to do three acres. And then we set those bales onto the conveyor belt that slowly turns and pulls it through the shredder, and it shreds that straw right onto every row, and we're moving along as we go, covering each row, one row at a time. And uh, 
So otherwise, the idea of doing that all by hand would be cruel, <laughs> I think. So, uh, and I think I have a picture of what the field looks like after we get that straw on it. And you don't want to do it until the plants are dormant. And for us, we think of it as, in Minnesota, we'd say, well, when deer season comes, that's the second week in November, the plants are going to be dormant by then. And, but you want the plants dormant because if you cover them with straw before they're dormant, they'll be using energy to keep growing underneath that straw, and it will hurt your yields the next year. And I think one of the most amazing things to me, I wish I had the slide that I saw a few years ago. In August is when all of your next year's strawberry crop is being formed. I saw a, under a microscope, they cut a uh, crown right down the middle, and you could see all of next year's strawberries right there under the microscope. They were all there in August. Can you imagine? And we're going to be picking them the next June. All of them were already formed. And it was just amazing to me. And the size of those berries is already decided to a large degree. So through the summer, besides that cover crop and getting straw and things like that, weeding, I didn't have any pictures of that in here. I didn't want to discourage you. But there's a lot of weeds. The matted row system, you're just going to have weeds. Again, our strategy, get as many as you can that first year when you can cultivate down those rows. Because after the first year, now we've got straw on those rows, and you, you can't bring a cultivator through those rows after that straw is on there. It'll all ball up and make just be a mess. You can't get the cultivator to go through there. So we till it and renovation, and then let it be. So there's going to be some weeds coming up. Sometimes I have renovated even twice in a season just to get rid of more weeds. As, as often as I can use a machine to weed with, I do it. Because by hand, it's, it, and you never want to go out in a big field to weed by yourself. It's too discouraging. You want a team of people to go out with you, family or some people you've hired to help you, Otherwise, you, you would just get discouraged. You go up, it takes a long time to get down one row, and it's like, oh, this will never end. But, and actually, I've gotten, I like weeding, but in a group, <laughs> so we can visit. Uh, let's see. I do try to keep a border around my fields to defend I try to keep two to five feet around the edge of all my fields. I can take my tiller, go right around the edges of my field and till it. Because if you don't defend, I learned this the hard way, if you don't defend the edges of your fields, quack grass or thistles will be creeping in around the edges. And once quack grass or thistles are established out in the middle of your field, it's virtually impossible to remove it. Because it's the rows of strawberries are there and it's mixed in with the rows and you just really can't get it out. Those quack grass runners are underneath there, and uh, that's some of our Minnesota weeds. I don't know what all you've got in your areas, but those are some of our roughest customers. That and dandelions. Dandelions is one thing that we do go through the whole field and take them all out early in the spring. We use one of these little things you can step on and, and pull the dandelion out and get those things out of the field before they spread their spores everywhere and uh, leave their calling cards for future years. Uh, I think we've covered most. Oh, I do fertilize the fields. Some I use a fertilizer, a, a foliar spray that I spray on the fields. I work with a company called Agro-K, I don't know what you might have in your area, but they have organic sprays that you can... I have a sprayer, and I just spray the field. I have a, something that squirts three, three shots onto each row and uh, on a four-foot center, so I can spray every row from three angles because I want it to get down among the, the leaves and get down in the plants. And so then those plants will absorb that through the leaves, and that's... Uh, a lot of what I use for fertilizer program. But right now, 
the ground that I'm going to plant this next spring. Uh, my neighbor has cows, and he always has a, a pile of cow manure that's several years old. And we come and hire him. He comes and we put a lot of cow manure on the ground, and we've had very good success with that on our fields. But I will tell you, with the manure, I realize I'm also getting weed seed. You know, it's just a trade-off we have to make because it's a natural method, and we just like doing it that way when we can. So we do fertilize in that way. Another thing I do is tissue samples. During the season, I take some of the leaves. I send them into the uh, Midwest labs in Omaha, and they tell me what uh, nutrients and things are in those leaves and what I'm deficient in. And it's important to know that. You need to know your plants and realize where you're at with your fertilization. And after that, just all that's left is to go sledding in the pond and have fun. So we get our winters off in Minnesota, and we're not, not so stressed then, and it's a lot of fun. And, uh, oh, how did that slide get in there? Oh, well, anyway, newest grandchild, January 1, Ida Grace. <laughs> Lots of hair, huh? So just another picker for the future, right? <laughs> So, anyway, I think it's time for some questions about the matted row. It might be something that is easier to deal with in the garden than, you know, the plastic. But I guess people use that in the garden, the plastic culture in the garden also, don't they? Yeah, they do. So, uh, any questions about the matted row system? What fertilizers do I recommend? You know, it depends on my uh, tissue sample results. Uh, there, that also gives me the micronutrients that they're at. I think boron is one that's very important uh, for strawberries. And I fertilize with the foliar sprays based on what those results tell me. So it may, they, they like to have calcium. And, but for sure, they're going to need uh, potassium. They're going to need nitrogen. And uh, so I base my sprays on those, on those results of my tests of the tissues. Any other questions? I'm sure I didn't answer them all. Yes. You know, I didn't mention that I buy my plants uh, from Norse Farms out in, I think they're in Massachusetts. But I buy all my plants from them because I want disease-free plants to start. Because if I'm going to run these things for three years, I don't want any disease coming in with them. And so, no, I've never, ever done it with the runners. Although, you can. I have filled in with runners. Maybe because a runner is going to go out and then it's going to form a new plant, and then the roots start to grow from that. I could have some bare spots uh, in my field if I get plants that died in one spot. You know, if every 18 inches, if one plant dies, you've got a hole. And so I might use those runners and the new plants to fill those holes. But to go from scratch with runners for a new planting, I would, I would never do that. Good question. I got to remember to repeat these questions, John. Uh, your cover crop, what are you using? For cover well, what I've used uh, so far for a cover crop, the question was, what cover crop do you use? I use sorghum Sudan, I use rye, I have used uh, radish uh, cover crop, something that kind of spreads the ground open a little bit. And, uh, but there's just a wide variety of choices. And I haven't been as innovative as maybe I should have because there's, there's lots of choices of things to grow. But rye and sorghum sudan are the big ones. I like to, the sorghum sudan, I get a big stand of tall, 
green stuff that I can till into the soil and lots of green fertilizer. So, other questions? Oh, over there. Well, it depends. Now, if I plant rye, I'm going to plant that in the fall, winter rye, and then I'm not going to till it up till the next spring. But otherwise, usually I'm, as soon as I uh, mow off my, and till up my three-year strawberries, I'm going to plant cover crop, and then I'll probably till that in in mid to late September. So, there was another question here. Yes. Uh, the question was, is the straw still left when you mow off the berries at the end of the picking season? Yes, the straw will all still be there. And all really I'm mowing off is the foliage of mostly all just leaves. And so it mows those off. I have a five-foot mower I bring, pull behind my tractor to, to mow off the field. Yes, another question. Yes, it is. So it lasts all winter. We rake it off the row so it's between the rows, and it makes a nice bed. And I forgot to mention that I try to put at least three to four inches of straw on top of my plants. Six is even better, but at least three to four inches in coverage of straw. Well, then the next spring I rake the straw off, Yeah, and then they'll grow up from there. And uh, I tried to use, uh, two years ago, I used rye straw. And I think that it was not many people in our area grow rye. And so I think the man running the combine just didn't set it right. But I bought that straw. And I say to this day, I paid for that straw three times because it was full of rye seed. And it just seeded my entire field in rye. I was just sick the next spring when it all started to come up. And I worked so hard to get all that rye out of the field. <laughs> well, it's just learning as you go, right? <laughs> We're always learning as we go. So I'll never, ever buy rye straw again. I, all that straw that's between the rows. Uh, yeah, repeat the question. Thank you. Uh, so what happens to this straw between the rows uh, at the time of renovation? Basically, what I'm doing is, and I think I had a slide on that back up here somewhere, that shows that all that straw that is between the rows with my tiller, I'm tilling that all into the ground. And this is really good, too, because... That's putting organic matter into the ground in a big way. You think of a, almost a thousand bales tilled into the ground every year. That's a lot of organic matter into the soil. It's really good for my ground because I have a heavy clay loam soil. Yeah, it, you know, the truth is that the strawberry that grows out in between the rows is a weed. I don't want it out there. Because uh, that's going to be the place where people walk and where people crawl to pick, and I'm going to put straw on. And so if the strawberry is out in the middle of the row, it's the same as a weed to me, and we're just going to till it up or get rid of it. So any other questions? It's been the end of a day, and we've had a lot of fun together, and uh, I appreciate your endurance. Oh, one more question. I. I say I injected it sprayed onto the row. So each row, which is about a 20-inch row, I spray from this way and this way and this way. Under about, uh, I try to have at least 60 pounds of pressure on the sprayer so that it's really kind of blasting those leaves and laying them down a little bit so the fertilizer is getting on all the leaves and then it can foliar feed. Those leaves are soaking up those nutrients that I put on. And so uh, that's how I spray is 
not really injecting it, but spraying it hard with a lot of pressure onto the leaves. Yes. Again, I get mine from a company called AgroK. Is where I get my fertilizer. Yes. That's a great question. Do you see? Is there a way to grow strawberries without having to till? You're, you know, because many people are are championing ideas of no-till, and isn't that maybe the better way to go? Well, I think it probably is, but I don't know of a way to do it in the matted row system without tilling, and so I, I till. But uh, for sure, if you don't have to, and when you can do things like uh, these uh, hoes that Dig, I can't think of the name of it off the top of my broad fork uh, ways of tilling the ground where you mix it underneath without a tiller. These things are very good to use. But again, uh, three acres, I couldn't do it otherwise. And I think that'll be our last question. It's 5.02. And so let's have a word of prayer. If you have any more questions, you can come up and talk to me. Kind Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege we have of growing plants and seeing the miracles that you make out of each seed and how it makes food for us to eat. This is an honor and a privilege that we have. Thank you and praise your name and bless each one here as they go home and try new things in their gardens and in their fields and as we learn to appreciate you more every day. We ask these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.